good singing tonight. If you have your Bibles tonight, I invite you to turn to Ezekiel uh, chapter 6. Working our way through uh, this book on Sunday nights. And uh, remember, Ezekiel uh, had a difficult job, as preachers often do and prophets usually do, uh, that uh, delivering a message that people would not be all that uh, enthused to hear. And uh, I think that uh, though Ezekiel uh, lived and ministered uh, nearly 3,000 years ago, uh, that uh, his message and the lessons that the Israelites learned back then still mighty apply to us today. They're mighty contemporary. And uh, part of the reason that is is because, one, the word of God is a living word. Uh, but secondly, people haven't changed. Though our, we have modern conveniences, and uh, but people at their their base, they're still the same. And the things that they dealt with and struggled with uh, back then are some of the same things that we struggle with today in 2017 that may be in different manifestations, as we'll see in just a minute, but we still wrestle with them uh, in uh, some ways. And so uh, that's what we're going to see tonight. We're going to talk, uh, God takes uh, Israel to task uh, because of their idolatry. Uh, and uh, so this chapter is a, a another uh, chapter of, of judgment on the nation of Israel. I titled tonight's message, Time to Clean House. It pro- you know, it's usually the spring. Uh, time, you know, that is all spring cleaning uh, and company cleaning. Uh, we've had it when you know somebody's coming. Uh, you tidy up a little extra or you take everything, put it in one particular room or closet or whatever. Uh, and, uh, you know, so it's out of out of sight, out of mind, maybe. And, uh, but... Uh, you know, that uh, when you do that, you find some things that uh, sometimes you really wonder, what on earth is this still doing here? A coffee pot that doesn't work. A vacuum cleaner that's lost its suction doesn't work. You know, broken knickknacks and different things that just for some reason you're holding on to them even though they they don't work. Uh, and um, and so that's what God had been calling uh, the Israelites to do, but they refused to do it. Uh, and by the way, there's this television show on, uh, the, I think it's maybe TLC, called Hoarders. Maybe you've seen it. Uh, or say, it, it, it boggles my mind that people uh, live that way, but there's, their house is absolutely packed full of papers and knickknacks and just there's a a trail that <laughs> leads to the bedroom and a trail that leads to the to the bathroom and uh you know stacked up to the ceiling and uh, usually especially on that show uh dirty conditions and unhealthy conditions uh and that doesn't happen overnight uh and um you know, people don't set out for those circumstances to come upon them, but over time, due to, uh, you know, whatever reason, it accumulates and things turn into a mess. Uh, 
Uh, and by the way, that's how it is in our walk with the Lord when we don't deal with things that he calls us to deal with. Um, you know, a lot of times we want to sweep things under the rug or put blinders on, pretend it's not there or uh, make excuses. And yet, if we are not willing to deal with something, it's only going to get worse. And the nation of Israel is about to find that out. So um, let's take a look. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel. Prophesy against them and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, to the hills, to the ravines, and to the valleys. Indeed, I, even I, will bring sword against you. And I will destroy your high places, and then your altars will be desolate. Your incense altars shall be broken, and I will cast down your slain men before your idols. And I will lay the corpses of the children of Israel before their idols, and will scatter your bones all around your altars. And your dwelling places in the cities shall be laid to waste, and the high places shall be desolate. So that your altars may be laid to waste and made desolate, your idols may be broken and made to cease, your incense altars may be cut down, and your works may be abolished. The slain shall fall in your midst, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Yet I will leave a remnant, so that you may have some who escape the sword among the nations when you are scattered through the countries. Then those of you who escaped will remember me among the nations where they are carried captive because I was crushed by their adulterous heart, which has departed from me, and by their eyes which play the harlot after their idols. They will loathe themselves for the evils which they committed in all their abominations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. I have not said in vain that I would bring this calamity upon them. Thus says the Lord God, pound your fists and stamp your feet and say, Alas, for all the evil abominations of the house of Israel, for they shall fall by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. He who is far away off shall die by the pestilence. He who is near shall fall by the sword. And he who remains is besieged and they shall die by the famine. Thus I will spend my fury upon them and and then you shall know that I am the Lord. When their slain are among their idols, all around their altars, on every high hill, on, every, uh, on all the mountaintops, under every green tree, under every thick oak, wherever they offered sweet incense to all of their idols. So I will stretch out my hand against them and make the land desolate, yes, more desolate than the wilderness toward Dibla, in all their dwelling places. Then they shall know that I am am the Lord. Lord is quite upset uh, with uh, his children, and he's promised judgment. But remember, before this judgment comes, God has sent messengers for hundreds of years saying, listen, come back to the Lord. You've kind of wandered away. And the people have stopped up their ears and said, we're not listening to you. Uh, we're going to do what we want to do. Um, and so uh, the Lord is going to bring them to task uh, for that. Uh, and I think it's significant, um, you know, the children of Israel here, uh, several times within this chapter, the Lord uses terms uh, 
uh, idolatry or idol, uh, talking about idols. And four or five times in this chapter, the Lord says, so that they will know that I am the Lord. Well, they should have already known that they were his people, and yet they had forgotten it. In fact, they, by their actions, thought they were God. And so that is what's going to... And I want us to notice something in the midst of each one of these different pronouncements that God gives uh, to Ezekiel to share with the people, most of the time he mentions this remnant. He did last week, you remember, he took some of those hairs uh, and tied them up in the end of his uh, garment and then burned uh, some and you know cut some up and so forth. And here again, even in chapter 6, God again reminds them that there will be some that are faithful. The faithful to God are the smaller in number. And by the way, that's probably always been true, probably will always be true, that those who are faithful will be in the minority. But it's okay when God's on your side uh, to be in the minority because you're assured of victory when the Lord uh, is on your side. Now, I think the the imagery that God gives to to tell uh, the the children of Israel through Ezekiel is rather telling. Uh, He says to Ezekiel, he said, you know what, pound your fist and stomp your feet. In other words, throw a temper tantrum, get the people's attention, uh, tell them that, you know what, some of them are going to die by the sword, some by pestilence, some by famine. Uh, In other words, calamity is coming. But it's not calamity of uh, the Lord's choosing. The Lord makes the calamity, but he doesn't choose it. The people choose it because the Lord would have rather shown grace and mercy and forgiveness because that's just the way the character of God works. But the people weren't willing to receive it. And God's not going to force his will upon uh, anybody. We have to be willing to accept it. We have to be willing to... Say, yes, Lord, we'll, we'll do what you say. Uh, he's not going to make us robots. And it's very telling toward the end. You know, it mentions, uh, and it's Jerusalem that he's talking about. He calls it the mountains of Israel. It, Jerusalem was up on a, a mountaintop, if you will. You remember, mountaintops were, uh, and cities built on mountaintops were, you know, thought, be, you know, that was where you were best protected because you'd see enemies coming and it was harder for enemies to get to you and, um, but no, he said, listen, it's even the, the ravines and the valleys and the mountains, I'm going to get it all. Uh, and he especially talks about uh, the altars, the, the places of worship. As you see, what happened in Israel, and I think to a large extent it happens in our own nation, unfortunately, is they forgot who they were and whose they were. And when they forgot that, things went downhill very quickly. And so, notice what he said. He said toward the end, he said, listen, I'm going to destroy the altars. Wherever you've burned this incense, that place is going to be a a desolation. Notice what he said. He said, you know, on the mountaintops, under every green tree, a tree that is green is is supposed to be a life-producing tree. And here... The Lord says it's going to be one of, of judgment and one of death. Thick oak trees. You know, we've got some, uh, even in Columbus and 
uh, some oak trees on our property um, that, you know, you think of those big oak trees. Those are supposed to be good, sturdy trees. Why oak trees can live, you know, several decades. And, you know, that's kind of a sign of strength for an oak. It takes some force to knock an oak tree down uh, if it's alive and healthy. But if it's decaying, it doesn't really take much to knock it down. But the Lord has a the idea of a, of a live, healthy oak. Wherever that sweet incense was offered, God says, I will lay my hand out and I will make that whole land desolate, even more desolate than the wilderness. So these are things that people put their trust in. And the things we put our trust in will either build us up or they'll tear us down. It will either be a good decision or the thing that destroys us. And so the children of Israel began to think that it wasn't so much them being God's chosen people. Rather, they began to think it was the land that they lived. They thought it was the temple where they worshipped. And so to them, it didn't matter that they were burning this incense by the, that the, the Lord had forbidden. And it didn't matter to them that they had idols in the, in the church. Like us, you know, putting a little Buddha statue here on the communion table. That's what the children of Israel had done. And unfortunately, nobody thought anything about it. But you see, Israel's power was not in their temple. It wasn't in their sacrifices. It wasn't in their worship services. It wasn't in who their preacher was or who their deacons were. Or how much money they gave. It was in that they were the people of God. That all that they were and all the blessings that they had, as we read the beginning of the Old Testament, it wasn't because they were so great. Abraham wasn't a sinless saint. The Bible does not hold, you know, back in telling us that Abraham was a man that certainly had, some would say, more than his fair share of faults. He made some doozies of errors. And yet God used him. Uh, and God made some promises to him. And so I think and there's something that, as we look at this chapter, that we need to remember, and that is this, that we need to know our lifeline. We need to know who we are and whose we are. We need to know and understand and never, ever forget that the blessings we have, and in fact, who we are, and anything that we are, is only by the grace and mercy of God. And the only the things that we're able to accomplish are not by our own strength, but by the strength he's given us and for how he's worked in and through our life. The Bible says on a few occasions that God likes to use the simple things to confound the wise. He likes to use things that 
seem weak to everybody else, but he accomplishes great things. I think about Gideon, one of our, our favorite stories from the book of Judges. Gideon, you remember, uh, was a little bit of a timid leader, uh, but he did do, finally do what the Lord told him to do. I remember he had amassed this army of, of 10,000 soldiers. The Lord said, you know what? That's just too many soldiers. Now, if we were to go down to Fort Benning and ask any of the leaders, uh, do you have too many soldiers? It doesn't matter how many they have, they're all going to say no. They're going to want to amass as many as possible. If you were asked how many missiles and bombs and machine guns are enough, they most likely would say, we never have enough. We always need some more. Because our think, you know, human thinking, you go in with the biggest army, have the biggest weapons, you're going to win. Human, that's logic. But God sometimes doesn't work with logic. He said to Gideon, that's too many. He whittled it down to a few thousand. He said, that's still too many. And whittled it all the way down to 300. And with those few, God gave Gideon great victory and gave Israel great victory. And God still works. It wasn't because Gideon was so great. It was because God was so great. It was God that fought that battle. And I tell you, if you're doing battle against the Lord, you're in trouble. So it's always better to be on his side than against him. Because if you're against him, you're going to lose sooner or later. Uh, just as we're assured Satan is going to lose the battle. Uh, one day he will finally be defeated once and for all. Uh, and so we have to know our light. We have to know who we are. We have to know and understand that we are, by the grace of God, what we are. And that we belong to the Lord. That we're his child. Uh, that we're his joint heir. And by the way, that we're also, the Bible refers to followers of the Lord as soldiers. We're part of the army of God. And so I want to share three lessons briefly with us tonight as we close about what knowing our lifeline brings and what we find from the example from these first six chapters of the book of Ezekiel. And the first is this, that walking with the Lord will bring blessings. That does not mean that if you're walking with the Lord and doing what you're supposed to, everything's going to be a bed of roses. It's not. Uh, there will be some roses along the way. But we also need to remember that every rose bush has some thorns, doesn't it, Miss Nadine? And thorns hurt. Those rascals, they get in you. They, they will let you know that they're there. And so... the as we walk with the Lord, our life is not easy, but our life is blessed when we walk with the Lord. And when the nation of Israel walked with God, they were blessed. And this itty-bitty nation was richer than many other nations around it at the time. Think of Solomon and all of his riches that the Bible tells us about. Israel was... Uh, led by Solomon was said to be the most wisest. And by the way, that's because he asked the Lord for wisdom. Uh, 
That's another sermon for another day. But we see God working all throughout the Bible through this small group of people accomplishing miraculous and amazing things. It's not the size of the army. It's who the Lord of the army is that matters. So when we walk with the Lord, that will bring blessings. But we also need to remember the opposite of that is also true. That ignoring the Lord will bring calamity. And that's what the nation of Israel is finding out in Ezekiel's day. Remember, Ezekiel was a contemporary, lived the same time about as Jeremiah and Daniel. uh, His three, Daniel's three friends. They were finding that the nation, the town that they put their security in and their stock in saying, we're Israel. Nobody can touch us. I'm from the city of Jerusalem where the temple of the Most High God is. Nobody would dare would mess with me. And yet God says, I'm going to lay that town flat. And by the way, that's exactly what happens. Even God's house is destroyed by people that God sent. How could that be? Because that temple no longer was God's house. It had been compromised. People would say, well, it doesn't matter. We we can let God's stuff be in there. We'll let Yahweh's stuff be in there. But, you know, if these other gods, you know, the Canaanites worship and these other nations... We want to put up a little pole in the middle of the sanctuary. Eh, no big deal. Nothing to have a cow over. You know, we want to you know, compromise on things. and It's no big deal. Why, we just want to appeal to the masses. And by the way, some make that same argument today to compromise on God's truth. And it's never a good idea to compromise God's word. When he says he wants something done one way, that's the way he intends for it to be done. And ignoring it will bring calamity. But then, notice something else, and this is the last thing, and I'll let you go. Some of life's greatest lessons are learned in the valley. Read it again. He said in verse 8, I will leave a remnant. So that you may have some who escape the sword among the nations when you're scattered through the countries. Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they were carried captive because I was crushed by their adulterous heart. Can you think about that? The Lord saying, I was crushed by their behavior. That they were harlots, that they walked out. And calamity came as a result. It was through that remnant that finally the nation of Israel learned. They had other lessons to learn, but, you know, uh, they never struggled again with idolatry when they got back. When Nehemiah got back and they rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem and uh, Ezra brought the, the scrolls. 
and they read it, and the people wept before the Lord and rededicated themselves. It will, and sometimes the Lord has to knock us down a few feet until we're ready to say, Lord, you know what? I should have just done things your way to start with. Um, you know, I know that probably all of us go through rebellious stages. Some folks never stop going through rebellious stages. Uh, but we realize uh, how foolish we were rebelling. Uh, and we regret it and wish we could go back and undo it. Unfortunately, we can't. But it, it was through the valley of being led away captive, being taken and made being a slave in a foreign land, and being oppressed, having your home destroyed, having grandparents and moms and dads and aunts and uncles die in the wilderness. That finally, God's people would wake up and say, you know what, I think maybe God's trying to tell us something. Maybe we ought to listen to him. How did they learn that lesson? You know, I don't think they would have learned the lesson unless they had gone through the valley. Going through valleys, by the way, are never fun. They're dark places. They're difficult places. They're, but they're necessary places. We think back over our life, and we all go through valleys and springs of life, difficult places, dark places. And most of the time, it's in those places where we learn to trust the Lord the most. It's those places the Lord teaches us the most important lessons. Now, we all would rather stay on the mountaintop. The mountaintop's easy. It's pretty. Life, life is good on the mountain. You know, one of my, my favorite vacation spots, the Smoky Mountain. It's wonderful to go there. All kinds of good things to do and beautiful scenery to, to take in. But the life life is, thankfully, has some mountaintop times in it. But the truth of the matter is, life, no matter who you are, also has some valleys. And you see that the nation of Israel, the Israelites learned that even in the midst of persecution and suffering. And even though the nation was being severely judged, uh, it was no cakewalk. Uh, it, it wasn't just that they were taken off to a little work camp, like, you know, we, or, or something like that. I mean, they were, it was brutal and just bad life. In other words, you didn't want to have to endure it. And yet, they realized that, you know what, even though we're in these hard times, God, is still here. Think of our friend Daniel in uh, the Old Testament. And you remember that Daniel, uh, even when it was impi- even when it was illegal to pray, he continued to pray. And we remember that it ultimately got and thrown him into the lion's den. And got thrown in that lion's den. What did he do? He prayed. 
And guess what happened? He didn't get eaten by the lions. God, you know, sewed up those lions' mouths. And when Darius the king came the next day, because he realized what he had done and to, to his friend and someone that he'd grown to respect, looked down in that lion pit. Those lions probably were sitting in Daniel's lap like puppy dogs, and Daniel may have been petting him. And it amazed him. He said, how is this? And you remember Darius's words, and whether Darius ever truly repented and came to know God or not is a matter of, of debate. Pro- looking at his later behavior, probably didn't. But they said, listen, you, your God must really be the, the true God. Because he he protected you. And so some of life's greatest lessons are learned in the valleys. So we don't, probably shouldn't pray for valleys. I don't think any of us naturally would. Uh, we, We don't pray, Lord, send us some valleys to walk through. But we need to understand that when the valleys come, the Lord walks through them with us. And we'll come through the other side. And the great thing is, wherever there's a valley, there's a mountaintop somewhere close by. And so that is a, a good reminder to us and a reassuring thing. So what, what does that matter to us? Well, it matters to us because we, in America, though we don't have statues that we bow down to, If we're not careful, there are, and in America, there certainly are some idols that our nation worships. I say our political correctness is an idol that America worships. Money and power and prestige are something that America worships. Rather than putting our faith and trust in God, we put it in the stock market or in Washington, D.C. Or in what? Can I tell you that if it's if our faith and trust is not in the Lord, whatever it's in is going to fail us sooner or later. The stock market is up right now. But we all remember, I don't know, 10 years ago, if it's been that long ago now, uh, it was way, way down. There's all that, what comes up, got to go down and chances are it probably will again someday and it'll go back up and it'll go back down and so jesus says you know what it's a lot better idea to put your faith and trust in something that doesn't rot that thieves don't steal and rust doesn't destroy In other words, put your trust and your treasure in heaven, and it will be eternally secure. That was something that Israel should have known, but had forgotten. And again, it didn't happen overnight. Just slowly, they began to compromise a little here and a little there. Just like those hoarders didn't start with a big mountain of paper and boxes and things. It started with one cardboard banker box. Then there were two. Then there were three. 
And now there's hundreds and one little pot, one little trail that leads through the house. Well, God certainly does not intend for us to live our life as spiritual hoarders. The only thing that needs to have our attention and our devotion is the Lord. And we're assured that if we know that he's our lifeline and we don't forget that, blessing will come. But we also be assured that if we ignore it, calamity is soon to fall. And our nation sees as further we get away from the Lord, the worse things get in a lot of ways. Uh, and that's, you know, the Lord said it would happen that way. And by the way, the Lord's never wrong. Uh, he never has been and he never will be. You and I, there's times we we get it wrong, but the Lord never does. So I think it's a whole lot better to trust him than in a person or in possessions. Because those things are not sure. But the Lord is a sure thing. So we need to be sure our path to him is clear. So I hope God will help us with that and challenge that. Let's pray for our nation that we would return again to the Lord. But by the way, it doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen in it doesn't begin in Washington, DC. It doesn't begin in the Capitol building or White House. It begins in Christians' homes and in Christian churches where God's people get on their knees and they call out to God and they say, Lord, we know we've not been what we're supposed to be. Forgive us. For God to heal us. And notice in that prayer from Second Kings that says that God will heal our land as we repent of our sins. And our land certainly needs healing. Our country needs to come back to the Lord. Uh, and I like to think that we have a small part to play in that. So oh, God bless you. Continue to pray for those that are sick, those healing up from surgery and uh,